By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Welcome to Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. This is, according to our Leica Clubhouse manager, the 82nd. Is that correct, Leica? Yeah, that's right. 82nd. Oh, my goodness. Leica, you really deserve a hand. Thank you, Leica. You know, she's been working so hard. This is not easy, trying to get everyone together. We've been doing this religiously every single week, I believe, except the Vinitaly Marathon week, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So what's going to be the organization for this year's Vinitaly? You made me do like 100 episodes prior to Christmas holidays. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What's going to happen before Vinitaly now? Like we're a, going to, I'm not sure, but we're planning something like with uh, Montefalco, but I think that's still in the pipeline, so I'm not really sure about that yet. Okay. Um, so, All right, right, right. We were supposed to do that Montefalco yes. special, so we'll, we'll mm-hmm. see what that happens. Mm-hmm. I actually think, Mary, My did picture. you go to Montefalco? I can't remember. I didn't go to the Montefalco. I went to the um, Etna. And the, oh, um, that was great, right? Yeah, it was fabulous. It was fantastic. Okay, so for those of you who are unfamiliar, I do see mostly people we know. I even see Ricardo Cotarella. I don't know what he's doing, not working. He's listening to Clubhouse. <laughs> he was on <laughs> a few weeks ago. Ciao, Ricardo. He's going to try to talk to me now, but he, I won't bring him up onto the stage. Anyway, so this you guys know how this works, right? It's It is the... Um, Italian Wine Club. It is what we call the Ambassadors Corner, where one of our Italian wine ambassadors get to do more like a fireside, um, you know, chat style with their favorite producers. And today, our mod is, of course, Mary Beth Vieira. I met Mary when uh, she did a, she was working for Gallo at the time in California, and she was their educator, and she sat for the VIA course, Vinital International Academy, the one we did in, out on San Francisco. Is that correct, Mary? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah San Francisco. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, she was in San Francisco, and that's where I met her. But she is a professional wine educator, a wine consultant. And now she has since quit Gallo, the big, you know, big, big <laughs> animal. And um, she's the founder of this thing called Cr- Crush Course. What, what is that, Crush Course? Um, Crush Course is um, my endeavor to um, offer wine education to uh, trade teams and to general wine enthusiasts. Um, So offering trade education for wineries, restaurants, um, hospitality staff to do, whether it's deep dive um, education and training on everything about wine or a specific sector of wine, like 
wines of Italy and to to bring them up to speed or if they're carrying a new wine to give them um, a training on that as well as to the um, wine enthusiast side corporate groups that maybe are doing team building and want to do something a little bit more on the fun side so um, a wine edutainment and uh, hosting wine club events for wineries and doing wine writing so I'm doing a lot of different a lot of different things you sound very very busy the way you describe it I mean it it seems like, you know, you're when you were working for Gallo as the educator, it was just a walk in the park. Oh, well, <laughs> I was very, very busy with Gallo as well. If you can imagine um, being in charge of training, making sure that the entire sales force nationwide and um, everybody that was in marketing and sales and communication was up to speed on everything to do with wine. So I developed and then led like 20 wine education events throughout the year, um, in addition to the Online Wine Academy and the Online Sales uh, Spirits Academy. So yeah, uh, they kept me pretty busy. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just joking, obviously. Uh, Mary Beth, listen, your last name is Viera. Are you yes. Italian of origin? I am not Italian of origin. I am 100% How did you get that Port- last name? <laughs> that last name, I'm, I'm Portuguese, 100% Portuguese. My heritage is from the Azor Islands. Uh-huh. And that's a misspelling. Um, it should be um, Vieira, V-I-E-I-R-A. So right. uh, two generations ago, that's what it was. But someone in immigration um, changed it to a Spanish spelling. <laughs> so of my great-grandfather. So... I look Spanish, Italian, but I I lived in Italy. um, Actually, before I got into the wine business, um, I was uh, doing um, education and teaching and training. um, So for five years. So I fit right in. People thought that I, you know, after a little while after I got fluent, they thought I was uh, Italian in in, in noisy areas so that they couldn't hear the little, you know, errors in my my Italian. So Mary Beth, you chose the Petrusa family. Right? Can you tell us why you've chose you've chosen the Petrusas and how you met them, the Vigna Petrusa? Yeah. How did you discover the winery? I discovered them actually through another fellow um, Italian wine ambassador. Sheila Donahue is the uh, uh-huh. founder of Verovino, and um, Verovino imports. Uh, they're the U.S. importer and distributor of. Um, Vigna Petrusa wines and many other um, family-owned and artisanal wines in Italy. And um, Sheila Verovino hired me, and I do often um, write, you know, in-depth uh, articles for them, but also uh, do their Vero talks, conduct uh, their Vero talks, which are virtual educational interviews and tastings live with producers. So that's where I met them, was getting to know them for these interviews and then um, tasting their wines, which are just absolutely beautiful. And I was fascinated by their story. I was fascinated by the the history of uh, Schiopettino and Ilde's um, basically hand in the foundation of uh, Schiopettino di Propotto and their wines and their, their story. Listen, so where is Sheila based? Is she based um, stateside or Italy? I, she's I got, can't remember. She's got a foot in both. Half the year okay. she's in Italy. Oh, she's in, in the audience. Half the year she's in, um, she's in California. <laughs> yeah. Okay, very good. So as you know, is this your first time hosting at the Ambassador's Corner? This is my first time hosting okay. Ambassador's Corner. Yeah. But you know, I've seen you in the audience a few times, so you know yeah. how it works. You know the drill. We mm-hmm. ask you know, get, we get a little bit geeky here. So we ask what the learning objectives from your call today. Okay, perfect. Well, my learning objectives um, are to go into the unique history of the um, indigenous grape Schiopettino and how it was brought back with a fight from extinction and to become the sought after wine that it is today. Um, but even layering on top of that, what is what's interesting about the wine is how it's so challenging in the vineyard and in winemaking practices. So um, I think people will come out aware of why this wine is so being an indigenous from the Prepoto region, why it's so valuable, why it's worth working so hard to make the beautiful wines out of it. And we're going to find out that from um, Ilde and Francesca. 
we'll um, learn a little bit more about the Propoto region itself, um, why it's well-suited for growing premium indigenous grapes, not only Schiopatino. And we'll also focus on their um, sustainability practices. So we'll learn a little bit about that and the story of how they are the third generation of women leading wine growing and winemaking at Vina Petrusa. Okay, fantastic. I just want to, before I hand over the mic, um, the floor over to Mary Beth, I just want to remind everybody that this entire episodes get replayed on the Tie-In Wine podcast. And believe it or not, it is one of the most popular shows. So some of them get like two, three, four thousand listeners. But some of them get like 10,000 listens. So there are huge fans, super wine geeks out there, especially for Italian wine. So make sure you tune in um, to Italian Wine Podcast, wherever you get your pods. And remember, we have a kind of a sister channel on YouTube. We've started about 18 months ago. It's called Mama Jumbo Shrimp. So that's right, Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Make sure you subscribe and also, you know, leave us a comment and rate us if you can. That would really be appreciated. Okay, then. So over to you, Mary Beth. I will come back. I will shut up now. As you know, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> so this is a rare opportunity for you and Francesca in Hilde. And I see Joy has joined us. And she's, of course, our Italian wine um, podcast producer. She just did, I think, like 40 interviews at Slow Wine the past couple of days. So that should also be coming on, um, scheduled into the program on Italian Wine Podcast. Okay. Ciao, Mary Beth. Okay. Welcome, Ilde and Francesca and um, of Petrusa, Vigna Petrusa Winery. Um, in this interview, we are traveling virtually to the cool northeastern corner of Italy, to the Friuli Colli Orientali wine region, sometimes known as the birthplace of modern Italian white winemaking and home to a wide range of very distinctive indigenous grapes, both red and white, renowned for their aromatic purity and clean varietal expression and complexity. Now tucked along its eastern border of the Friuli Colli Orientali that it shares with Slovenia lies the subzone of Prepoto, and the village of Albana. Here is where we find the seven-acre parcel of the Vigna Petrusa Vineyards and Winery. Its acres are farmed, have been farmed for five generations by the Petrusa family, but now in its third generation as a woman-owned winery. And today we're speaking with second and third generation of these women, Ilde Petrusa and her daughter Francesca. After taking charge as head winemaker from her mother in 1995, Ilde Petrusa began restyling the vineyard, focusing on high-quality indigenous grapes, cultivated with the Guyot training system with a steadfast commitment to continuous improvement. Vigna Petrusa has been highly rated and lauded as one of, quote, Italy's best and most under-the-radar estates by Venus and Ian Dagata. In a recent article from 2022, Dagata refers to Ilde Petrusa as, quote, quite simply one of the three or four best producers of Piccolite and Schiopatino. All this while naming one of their four Schiopatino wines to his list of Italy's best buys of 2021. The story of Schiopatino, the outlaw grape, brought back from the brink of extinction in the 1970s is thanks in large part to the passion and leadership of Hilde herself to champion the grape, along with other locals, to win the recognition of Schiopatino di Propoto as an official and official DOC subzone of the Fiuli Colli Orientali and established the consortio. Ilde was the first president of the association. Ilde and Francesca are passionate about not only Schiopatino, but other indigenous grapes of the region, such as Piccolic, Friulano, Ribole Gialla, Refosco del Peduncolo Rosso, and with the recent acquisition of an additional acre, they also produce a selection of bottlings from international grapes. Vigna Petrusa is committed to crafting exceptional artisanal wines in a sustainable, ecological, and ethical manner. They are certified as eco-sustainable under the um, CSQA certification. So without further ado, let's meet Ilde and Francesca. Hello. You two can release your microphones now. And yes. Hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> thank you, Mary Beth, for the presentation. Well, thank you for coming and joining us. It, I'm always excited to follow you on um, the socials, follow you on your website, follow you through Verovino. 
um, the wines that you're releasing and the traveling that you've been doing to promote your wines. We're going to spend much of this conversation talking about your growing region and your corner of Friuli and taking that deep dive history into Schiopatino. But first, um, some congratulations um, on some recent acknowledgments and awards. Um, I see that you, your wines have received awards and recognition. The 2023 edition of Five Star Wines, yay. The Slow Wine Guide and Gambaro Rosso, not to mention many awards from Venus. And I've seen that you have two recent, very recent golds for both the white and red from the Sakura Japanese Japan Women's Wine Awards. So congratulations. Um, will you give us, um, uh, Francesca and Ilde, maybe starting with Francesca, a brief overview of your Vigna Petrusso winery? The range of grapes that you grow and the wines you produce, maybe the number of hectares. And where have you been lately? Where have you been traveling lately? What's up? Okay, so I started, and my mother will do another part. Um, Vigna Petrusa has uh, now eight hectares of vineyards, and uh, we are very close to the Slovenian border. There is just a river dividing us. Our area is surrounded by gentle hills. Uh, most of our vines are between 30 to 50 years old, and they are uh, located around our winemaking facilities. Uh, as you were saying, we are mainly focused in native grapes, and this was a decision that became stronger and stronger along the years, because uh, we want to produce wine that uh, can represent our terroir, can tell uh, our story and our tradition that consider that we are of a long tradition of winemaking. Um, and this uh, uh, this possibility to create a unique kind of uh, wines typical of the era is to concentrate mainly in native grapes. As you were saying, uh, we produce Ribolla Gialla, the Frulano, that is the ex Tokai. Then we have one of our favorite wines, that is the Ricenza. There is a blend uh, of four indigenous grapes. Uh, then we have uh, one of my favorite, that is the Refosco del Peduncolo Rosso, the Schiopettino, that we vinify in four different ways because my mother is uh, uh, very much in love with this grape. And uh, then we have the, the Piccolit. And uh, as international wines, we have the Sauvignon and the Cabernet. Um, even if we have eight hectares, we have uh, 13 type of uh, wines. And this is because as family tradition and probably like tradition of the area, the winemakers were planting a lot of different plants to be able to offer uh, locally different type of products. And so despite uh, being so small, we decided to keep most of this um, uh, vineyard and this type of vines. Um, uh, we are... Uh, small so we are just uh, me and my mom with uh, mainly a team of ladies um, and uh, so we do a little bit of everything uh, my mom anyway is the winemaker and she's responsible of uh, all the production of the wines and she takes most of the decision of the winemaking the aging the type of process and the type of uh, um, solution that we need to take in the vineyard while I'm more focused in um, the communication part, in the sales and in the marketing. Um, as If you want, I can tell you a little bit more about our recent traveling. Um, sure. We, um, uh, we started to travel and we really wanted to discover new countries where to export our wines before COVID. Um, so uh, before COVID, we were traveling around Germany and Austria. And then we started to uh, work with Sheila and uh, we went to U.S. And uh, uh, that was our last trip uh, and uh, the last flight that managed to flew back to Italy with the COVID. Wow. Then during the COVID, uh, we've been working hard and trying to do a lot of wine tasting and uh, online, like with you and Sheila. And uh, recently, we went back to the US, and with Sheila, we went to New York, Chicago, and Boston. Um, we went a few times to Sweden in Stockholm. Um, two, ten days ago, we went for the first time to the Wine Expo in Paris. 
uh, I went to the Garda Lake because I was invited uh, to the Wine Media Conference. And, uh, and then we don't want to stop. So next month, uh, we go to Provine in Germany, Dusseldorf, and we will be in Verona uh, for the Vinitaly in April. Wow. You've been busy, and congratulations on getting the last flight back home during uh, during uh, the beginning of COVID. That's that's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, yes. And we're going to be um, uh, teasing out and, and learning more about your different roles and the the role of uh, um, Ilde, your mother. Um, and I really like that you mentioned that you have. Um, mostly it's a team of women working in the vineyard. So I'm going to pivot over to, um, you know, going back to the beginning, your family's been form- farming this land since the mid 1800s in the Propolto area. Um, and you eventually turned to growing um, wine grapes on you know, seven acres. So uh, producing indigenous grapes is really, you might say in your DNA, but you're now in your third generation of women that are managing the uh, family winemaking business. Tell us, about how your grandmother, back in the 1970s in Italy, took the reins of wine growing and winemaking, managing it on her own, and some of the challenges she faced in the 1970s at the time, and then how your mother um, took uh, the reins, decided to pick them up, and then how you joined. And then maybe tell us a little bit about the women um, in the vineyard as well. Okay, so um, uh, the property was uh, uh, from my mother's side. So my grandfather was a typical Italian family with a lot of uh, uh, brothers and sisters. So my uh, grandfather, they were in nine. And the family was um, uh, involved in the wine production. Uh, They were managing the fields. They were grain traders. They had a mill, they were producing flowers, they had like a, um, uh, a oven as well where they were um, preparing the bread to sell locally. But then this property that was in a certain way consistent uh, was split between the nine brothers and sister. And my grandmother, uh, that was sort of a housewife, was not uh, directly involved. When uh, my grandfather died, my mother was 16 and her sister were uh 22, more or less. And uh, at that point, my grandmother, so in the second phase of her life, uh, decides to take over the reins of this property and to deal directly with the production of wine. This was a very, very difficult situation for a woman back at that time. And um, it was opposed several times by the local male uh, producer, but she didn't want to give up. She was very strong, very tough woman, not very friendly sometimes. And and uh, thank you to the fact uh, uh, that we were very close to the Slovenian border. We are like 500 meters away. Consider that none of the Italian men really wanted to work for a woman we're in a family there were no men involved we started our collaboration with a Slovenian family and thank you to the Slovenian family that is already at the third generation we've been managing to carry on our adventure and to be consistent in what we do and uh, in our tradition, in our communication as well. And now um, there is, uh, uh, Betty was the first one that started to work with my grandmother. And now we have the daughter, Marina, the same age as me, and uh, her nephew, that is Petra. And they are like our angels. They are mainly involved uh, in the fields and in the winemaking process. Then we have Barbara that is supporting us uh, in the office and doing a little bit of everything. Um, then anyway, uh, when my mother, on the second phase as well of her life, um, she decided to take over uh, of the winery. And um, um, probably she didn't think when she moved out from Friuli. Uh, we were living, when I was young, an hour away in Veneto, closer to Venice. But every weekend we were going back and forward to visit the grandmother because she was struggling and she couldn't do all the tough work uh, by herself. So suddenly my mom stopped working in the school 
in elementary school and she decided to take over. Uh, at the beginning, it was very, very tough for her and she found as well a lot of hostility in the uh, male uh, producer. And, uh, you know, the funny things that we laughed at, we can laugh now because the male producer were thinking um, that that was a job just for male. It was a male business. And so a woman was not able to produce a wine that was up to their standards. Uh, and this was on the first phase of her the uh, winemaking career. Then the situation, uh, as everybody knows, it was evolving a lot. And uh, thank you to associations like uh, Le Donne del Vino, uh, the situation improved. And now there are a lot of very well-trained and capable women uh, uh, involved in the wine business uh, or producing wine or be enologist. So the situation is uh, totally different now. Thank you, God, uh, we can say. And then uh, me, uh, as well. I trained as an architect, so I moved away from the university. Then I was working abroad for uh, like 12 years. And then I decided to go back. And then like my mom, I started to help a bit by bit, just going to the events, uh, taking some decision. And then bit by bit, I got involved more and more in the wine business. And I found that very fascinating because uh, it's an all-round job with a lot of different facets. So you are, uh, you have this uh, um, uh, constant uh, um, relation with the nature and with the product that is growing, you know, outside of your house and that, that you are able to transform in something very special and to create uh, your own wines. And then there is the part uh, of uh, um, relation with the clients that I really like because at the end, you know, the people that are buying your wine, uh, they are buying part of your story uh, on one side. And, and then you are lucky because your wine is usually drunk in special events, uh, when you have a dinner with your friends, with your, uh, with your family. And so you are there and directly uh, for this special moment. So it's a very, um, it's a very amazing uh, satisfaction, I would say. It's a very hard work on the other side. Well, it's a, it sounds like this is an amazing story. First of all, I think that probably the listeners will agree um, of the, the the three women and then all of the women um, that are stood up to um, the convention at the time and pushed forward to make quality wines and with the passion. And you've picked up the passion, whether it almost sounds like it's very similar that None of the three of you in the generation really expected to get the bug, but the bug caught up with you. Um, whether your grandmother originally had it or not, your mother definitely did. And I can hear it in your voice and in your story, how passionate you are um, about being connected to the land and then about communicating um, the beauty of what your land can produce to the world and to um, wine drinkers. And that's, um, that's beautiful. So let's talk about um, the um, the big um, the love that your um, mom and your family and um, the locals have for this grape, Schiopatino. So let's talk about that. Um, we're going to talk about um, the grape itself and the wine that it makes. But first, let's um, let the listeners know about the origins. Um, if you haven't encountered yet, the intriguing wines it produces, Schiopatino, are as unique and intriguing as the history of the grape itself, starting even with the name. The ancient name of the grape is Ribola Nera, Ribola Nera, and that name is sometimes used in other parts of Friuli, but right around the Propolto area, it's always been known as Schiopatino. And it's the name is an, really an onomatopoeic um, derivative of Scopietare, which is a verb in local dialect meaning to burst, pop, or crackle. And either there's a debate um, whether that's due to the grapes' thicker, crunchy skins that explode in the mouth, like with a pop, or the routine explosion of unfiltered wines bottled a little bit too early and the popping corks and exploding bottles when the fermentation continued. <clears throat> so what is Schiopatino? It's an aromatic red grape of balanced acidity, acidity that's really bursting with blue fruits and, importantly, aromas of green peppercorn and black pepper, often accompanied by floral perfume. 
It's naturally very high in rotundone. In fact, recent studies show that it has one of the highest levels of rotundone of any grape along with Syrah. So the wines that, that come out of Schiopatino are very elegant. They're medium bodied with this balanced acidity and quite velvety tannins. And because of the level of tannins and the acidity, they have really long longevity. But what's extra intriguing is its history. It's rare and ancient and a noble indigenous red grape cultivated in that Propolto area since the 13th century. But it almost went extinct when its plantings were banned by the European Union in favor of international varieties that were easier to grow around the 1970s. So a bit of drama follows the heights and then decline of this outlaw grape. And finally, its reemergence that are really thanks to the passion of locals in the area, including Il de Petrusa. Please remind us about Scopatino's history from the Propolto area, how it was rediscovered and brought back from the brink of extinction just 40 years ago by Francesca, your mother, Hilde, who is here with us, um, her leadership role in the fight of turning Propolto into a DOC subzone for Friuli Colli Orientale for Scopatino. Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Okay, mom, uh, do you want to go ahead? Mama, voy andare avanti tu? Do you want to open your microphone, mama? La coltivazione della vita dello scopettino dopo la filossera era stata sostituita con vitini internazionali e non era più stata inclusa fra le varietà coltivabili da parte degli organi statali. Negli anni 70 la famiglia Rappuzzi ha recuperato e messo a dimora questo vitigno senza le necessarie autorizzazioni e grazie a loro è stato nuovamente inserito nell'elenco delle coltivazioni ammesse. Io nel 2002 ho riunito tutti i produttori dello schiapettino della zona in un'associazione con l'intento di valorizzare questo nostro vitigno e con l'aiuto di agronomi abbiamo sperimentato il modo migliore per la coltivazione di questa vite. Abbiamo ricercato dei vecchi biotipi e messo a dimora un vigneto catalogo per poter effettuare delle microvinificazioni in tal modo da riuscire a dare un'identità a questo vino. Un laboratorio specializzato eh, per la produzione dei lieviti ci ha prodotto dei lieviti indigeni dalle nostre uve per permetterci di mantenere la massima terri territorialità del vino. È stato fatto anche uno studio approfondito sulla ricerca del rotondone che è il precursore aromatico del sentore di pepe e abbiamo scoperto che nella nostra uva la percentuale è maggiore che in altri vitigni. Okay, thank you, okay. Ilde. All right, we're, we're not leaving, for those of you who speak English, we're not leaving you without uh, translation. Francesca, you want me to go ahead and translate? Uh, no, no, if you want, you can go ahead. Uh, As you, you like to. Okay. Um, so what um, Ilde um, was saying, and then Francesca, please correct me or add anything that I've, I've missed here. Um, the, um, she was reminding us that um, the, it was the um, Rapuzzi family who originally found the grapes that had almost vines that had almost gone extinct and started cultivating them. So they were the first um, um, family that was cultivating the wines that were not the vines that were not um, legally um, allowed anymore by the EU um, coming from the Propoto region. But um, Ilde, along with other um, locals, knew that they wanted to continue to propagate these plants. So in 2002, Ilde organized and brought together all the producers of Schiopettino in the area of Propoto into an association of producers of Propoto with the intention of enhancing the local indigenous vine. So they hired an agronomist um, who helped them experiment with the best way to cultivate the vine. They researched old biotypes and planted what they would call a catalog vineyard in order to carry out microvinifications. They were in search of the best viticulture and winemaking practices that would help them achieve that kind of a territorial identity for the wines coming out of the area. So they took, this was not something happenstance. This was very, um, very, very structured, their plans um, to go forward. So with the group, she also led the establishing of a specialized laboratory in the area for 
uh, cultivating and producing local yeasts um, for winemaking. So the result is they reproduced the indigenous yeasts from their grapes and created a, you know, a, a pied de cuvee or a starter culture that then all the producers could use to allow um, for, to maintain that, you know, ter- terroir in the wine. So um, also, in addition to the what's going on in the vineyard and creating the starter culture, the association also more recently commissioned an in-depth study to re- uh, research the rotundone molecule, um, which is, if you're not um, familiar with it, is an aromatic precursor of that uh, pepper uh, aroma found in Schiopatino, Syrah, and other grapes. And when the ro- results came back in, they were really surprised. Well, maybe not. They were pleasantly surprised when they discovered that the grapes from the Propolto area, the percentage of, of Rotundone molecule was much higher than vines coming from other areas. So I think this is brilliant, your association. Um, Ilde um, have been incredibly active um, with, you know, actual actionable learnings that are going into um, improving your wines and making them known um, in the in. In, in the marketplace, um, even in Italy. Francesca, is there anything that you want to add to that? Uh, not that this association has a very strict regulation on producing the, the wine and to try to get the, um, uh, the best wine that you can, uh, uh, you can produce because it's always been, even if it was not uh, legally um, accepted as a, uh, as a vine, um, Everybody was producing it, but then uh, probably at that back in the time, like when my grandfather was producing the Schiopettino, they didn't have the right technique to have a very high quality wine. So the association did, did a very good job. Nice. So uh, why? I guess it just kind of raises the, the question. Um, yes, it was a local wine, but why work so hard for this one, one grape Schiopettino? What, what are some of its characteristics? that you, your family, and other locals love about it and the wine that it produces. Why spend so much time creating this association? And um, it became Ilde's uh, favorite grape, from what I understand, the, her most beloved grape um, and wine. Mamma, puoi raccontare tu, perché la tua parte questa. She loves to speak about Schiopettino mm-hmm. all the time. Please go ahead. No. Noi produttori siamo stimolati a portare avanti questa produzione perché riteniamo che il nostro vino sia unico per natura, è il nostro slogan ed è rappresentativo del nostro territorio. È un vino elegante, equilibrato, che permette di essere abbinato molto facilmente a diversi cibi. E questo è stato anche riconosciuto dal Ministero dell'Agricoltura italiana, infatti nel 2008 abbiamo ottenuto Sotto la mia direzione abbiamo ottenuto il crew dello Schiopettino. Il tempo okay. dell'associazione è proprio di fare conoscere e portare avanti questo vino che era scomparso, ma che ha delle potenzialità e un'eleganza molto interessante. Okay? All right. Um, t- um, translating from here, uh, she's really highlighting the unique nature, that this is a unique grape really um, from their region. So they were proud of this grape and they wanted others to be able to discover it. And what they love about it is the is how elegant it is, um, how it's so balanced, um, and how it really pairs well with so many different types of food. So they're enjoying it so much they wanted others as well. And then um, very proud of their work in order to um, get the recognition. Um, in 2008, they received the cruise certification from the ministry. So meaning Propolto is, um, is, is one of only two regions that may be called out as an official subzone on the label for Schiopettino within Friuli Coli Orientale DLC. Um, you know, the other is Cialla um, and then Propolto. So those are the only two that can, can be called out. Um, so they're just uh, encouraged and excited with their production, and um, they believe that their wine is, is unique. Anything you want to add, Francesca, to just um, in general why um, you love it or go um, further? Uh, no, it's, it's unique. It's very versatile. Uh, how do you say versatile? Mm-hmm. Uh, elegant uh, with these velvety tannins. Uh, it's complex at the same time and it's quite uh, rare. 
to yeah, that is, I think, one of the interesting and what attracts me to um, Schiopettino. I'm always attracted to wines of discovery that are rare, um, and I think that's becoming a trend, you know, in the in the sommelier set as well. As and that's what's so interesting and and um, fun about Italian wines is that you can discover new wines from different regions, and Schiopettino just captured my interest as well. So it wasn't only the fight uh, from extinction um, that um, your mom and your family, you know, raised up Schiopettino. But what is curious is Schiopettino is so difficult to grow and to vinify. We know that wine is made in the vineyard, but Schiopettino is notoriously difficult, but you still love it. It is a vigorous vine making um, large bunches, lots of leaves. Um, it's difficult to ripen. It has compact bu- bunches. It's late ripening, so at risk of early rains. And it's overall sensitive. So why, um, um, not why are you behind it, because you're already told us why you're behind it, but what is it that um, the your, your mom and the other producers in the region have been doing to work with the vine and to bring out the quality of the vine. Why is it well suited for growing in your region? And then what are you doing to um, bring out the quality of the vine and manage it, basically? Uh, okay. Mama, do you want me to explain the, the, the terroir and the store? Or do you want to go ahead with the description of uh, the territorio? Okay. Il nostro territorio, dal punto di vista della sua conformazione orografica, è un territorio più unico che raro. Le montagne, che sono anche molto alte, sono a ridosso del mare. E per il vino questo significa corpo e struttura. Sono garantiti dalla contemporanea presenza del benefico influsso del mare e della buona escursione termica e dei, dei paesaggi montani. Nella piccola vallata di Prepotto abbiamo tre tipologie di terreno. Le colline che sono formate da una marna chiamata ponca o flash è costituita da un'alternanza di strati di argile calcare e arenarie ricche di carbonato di calcio e magnesio e conferiscono al vino molta mineralità e longevità. Le colline di terra rossa e ferosa che danno vita a vini più scuri e più concentrati, mentre il fondovalle è pietroso ed è in grado di immagazzinare e poi riflettere il calore e conferisce al vino maggiori profumi. Nelle degustazioni che noi facciamo in associazione avvertiamo immediatamente la diversità di questi tre territori. Ok, um, thank you Ilde. Ok, so there's a, quite a bit to translate here. Um, so she was telling us about the territory, what, what makes their region um, so great for growing this grape or you know, any grape of quality. Um, the Friuli Venezia Giulia, um, from the point of view of its orographic confirmation, is unique. Um, the area has very high mountains close to the sea. So that's something that's interesting about it. But for winemaking, it means that um, both the body and structure um, will, it contributes to body and structure in the wine. Um, so we have the moderating influence of the sea and um, the mountains give this good temperature range or diurnal shift um, that holds that acidity in the wines and cools um, the grapes in the afternoon. So in the um, small valley of Prepotto, they where they have their land, there's really three types. So the hills are formed by a marl called ponca. So um, a lot of people have heard of maybe the fleish, the famous fleish soils from the area. Well, locally they call it ponca in Prepotto. Um, that's alternating layers of calcareous clays and sandstones which have calcium carbonate and magnesium. And so that gives wine the minerality and the longevity. So some other hills in the area have the um, red iron-rich stone uh, um, earth. So that gives um, darker and concentrated wines. And the valley floor is has stones. So the capacity for storing and the reflecting the heat. And that, you know, the area can be, can be quite cool. So that's important. Um, and so when they've done tastings with other producers, they've uh, noticed that, you know, there really is a variety. Even within the Propolto region of different uh, producers, there's a variety of flavors and a variety of styles from the different, um, from the different land. 
and the terroir. Francesca, anything that you want to add to that? Uh, not really, you know. Uh, that's right, you know. When we do the wine tasting of the um, of the Schiopettino, you can really tell the difference from the soil where they are from and from the uh, tradition of the family that they produce the Schiopettino. You can tell where there is like a... Um, uh, uh, how do you say um, high history in the past uh, a wine that was drunk from uh, uh, other families or if it's like a, a new winemakers with a different type of uh, palate and flavor so you can, it's very funny when we do the wine tasting because you can find a lot of shadows of these uh, Schiopettino grapes Okay, so I'm really wanting to go there um, for a lot of reasons to come and taste with you all <laughs> um, so what I found, one of the things that fascinated me um, quite a bit when I was um, talking with you the first time that we met was learning how extraordinarily difficult um, and finicky this grape is, and then all of the um, the research and the and the findings that um, your mom has put um, together along with the um, the association. Um, tell us about the early experimentation with the vines and the current vineyard practices that, that you at Dina Petrusa are implementing to overcome the grapes' really challenging nature so that you can make this crew-level wine with a grape that is hard to ripen, is um, so vigorous, has huge bunches. Uh, what are, what are you um, accomplishing? How did you get there? Um... Uh, Mama, do you want to say something with your Schiopettino or can I go ahead? I can go ahead with this one. Anyway, there are uh, only 108 hectares dedicated to the cultivation of this Chiopettino di Prepotto. And in total, between all the producers, there are between 120, 130,000 bottles produced. And, uh, and most of the, I would say, all of the companies, all of the winery are family-run and everybody, uh, we are around 2022, we have uh, um, just few hectares of uh, 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 this type of uh, vines. Uh, um, the scupettino, as you were saying, uh, require very hard uh, uh, work because it's a plant that is very vigorous and uh, produce a lot of grapes, uh, more or less uh, four kilos to uh, five kilos per plant. But uh, uh, with the association, um, they decided uh, that the maximum production for the plant is one kilo and a half per vine and um, and then uh, um, there are different phases uh, where you uh, thin all the bunches and um, I would say that there are three different passes um, at the beginning roughly in May now um, um, we start uh, uh, you know in February we start to um, select the uh, double bats leaving just one uh then there is a second phase um when uh, um uh the the grapes started to um uh, when you start to select uh, the uh, how do you say the the dimension not the bunches and you leave just uh, um uh you remove the second bunch and you leave just one bunch the healthier one and then when there is the horizon uh there is the third passage in the vineyard where you um, uh, you leave just the best branches and then you cut uh, the bottom and the two wings leaving just the heart of the bunch so all the berries can get at, uh, at the same time uh, to the maturation and so you get a, a, a sort of more standard uh, uh, quality of grape so uh, and then there is the final um, work that you need to remove all the leaves uh, leave to expose the plant to the sun for the final um, maturation and then there is the harvest that is done uh, usually at the beginning of October and then it's done always manually in our winery so it's a very hard work and it's a very delicate so you cannot expose the um, uh, you know the bunches too early other, otherwise the the grape burn and uh, suffers a lot so uh, yeah uh, it's a very hard work 
So that's when you and um, all the other women that you mentioned spend a lot of time in the vineyard. You're you're continually passing through, it seems like, just watching your vines and um, selecting the grapes, and then it comes to harvest. So I think that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that you have, you vinify four different Scopatinos. So in addition to the other whites and the other reds that you um, produce, um, tell us about the four different Scopatino grapes. I mean, the four uh, different Scopatino wines. Wines. And then, Yes. So as, as as you can understand, is my mother obsession and love. So we produce four different kinds of scopettino. They maintain the main characteristic of the grape, uh, the hint of spiciness, the elegance, this velvety tannins, but they express the four of them with a different strength and intensity. So the, the Rinera, that is IGT, is our lighter version of scopettino. It doesn't see any wood, it's just the vinifier in stainless steel for 12 months. And this is uh, easier and fresher to drink. It's very good with an aperitif, uh, or you can pair with fish, with tomato sauce, or with meat. Then we have the Scopettino di Prepotto, uh, where we have the DOC, and it's done, uh, of course, according to the rules that we were describing before, um, from uh, the rules uh, created by the association. Uh, the maceration in our winery is done in big wood barrel for 22 24 days, more or less, uh, where there is the malolactic process as well. And then we do the pedicuvée um, ourselves, while for the rinera, uh, uh, we use indigenous uh, uh, yeast. Um, we decide to put the, this wine in big wood barrels that are already between uh, 15 to 30 hectoliters um, for 25, uh, 24 months. And this we use a big barrel because the impact of the wood is uh, less consistent and so will not uh, cover the main characteristic uh, of the Schiopettino grape. And um, after the 24 months resting in the, in the barrel, uh, we bottle it and we let it rest for another year in the bottle. Um, the Schiopettino for me is amazing if you pay with a steak, uh, with a roast, but I love it with a dish with truffle or with mushroom. Mm-hmm. There is the same sort of base of flavors. And then the last two Schiopettino uh, are produced just on the best vintages and on selection of the grapes. So the one that we have uh, uh, now is the 2018, while the previous vintages was uh, vintage was the 2018. The Schiopettino Riserva, uh, we do the Pericuvée as well, is refined 36 months uh, in tonneau, so 500 liters barrel, and always one year in the bottle. Uh, the Perla Nera instead is our fourth Schiopettino. Uh, I think that my mother created it because it was the way that my grandfather was producing this wine. As I was telling you before, there was not in the past a right technique to produce uh, an elegant wine from this grape. So my grandfather was uh, um, drying the grapes to obtain like a... Um, a special wine used in special occasion. Um, the Perlanera is sweet, but not sweet. Uh, is delicate, but with a strong character as well. And um, the harvest is done manually, but in this case, we use wood basket. We let it dry in Frutaio. There is just a room with natural ventilators uh, for two months. And then we use a smaller barrel. So one year more uh, in wood, in barrique, and just and always one year in the bottle. And this, my mom loves it with chocolate. I prefer with uh, uh, duck or with game, uh, you know, with like special meat with special taste. So these are... Uh, these wines are beautiful for anybody who hasn't tried them. I mean, I think it's... Um, just to recognize that you have the Schiopatino di Prepotto di Ossi that you worked so hard um, as a family in the region to to make that wine. That's kind of your flagship. But you created the Rinera, which is a stainless steel only, just to highlight the grape. Um, and then the two yeah. um, special wines, the Reserva and the, the Perla Nera with the Appassimento. Yes, you're right. 
at the beginning we were calling Ribolla um, Nera, but then we had to change the name, and so now we call Schiopettino Rinera. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm seeing where we are on time. Um, I want, definitely wanted to um, ask about your um, your other grapes and the other wines that you make, but I know, um, Stevie, that there is also possibly questions out there. Um, shall I ask one more question or shall we turn it over to um, opening up to I questions? I think you can from ask one last question and then we're going to have to close. Okay. Um, okay. So tell us a little bit about the other wines that you make in your portfolio beyond Schiopettino. Um, as, as I was saying before, um, we are mainly focusing on indigenous grapes. So we have uh, uh, Ribolla Gialla, that is a very popular wine that is uh, vinified just in stainless steel. Then we have our Frulano, that was the old Tokai. Uh, then we have Der Fosco uh, Dal Peduncolo Rosso, that is my favorite red wine, and uh, that is more round and juicy. The Fosco Petino, and another wine that we produce that is very typical of this era and is produced in very small quantities, the Picolit, that is a rare wine, is uh, uh, like coming from uh, uh, floral abortion. So uh, we produce 1,200 bottles per year and the bottles are 037. And it's very velvety, very elegant. Uh, um, and uh, it's, it's special, it was uh, drunk by the Sborgi Court and all the Pope as well, and leave you this velvety feeling with a final taste of almond and honey. But then my favorite, and I think my mom's uh, white favorite wine is the Riquenza. Um, that is a, a wine that is a cuvée on indigenous grapes. So Frulano, Malvasia Estriana, Riesling Renano, and Picolit. We vinify this wine in a separate way uh, and with different techniques. So stainless steel for some wines, barrique or baker wood barrel. When they are ready, we assemble them and then we let them rest after the bottling for minimum six months in the bottle. Usually is a wine that is ready after four or five years and then is a long lasting wine, mm-hmm. even after. Is it still perfect? And we created this wine because my grandmother and my ancestors they had uh, uh, they were planting a lot of plants, uh, and uh, so instead to remove these plants that were older by a small quantity, we decided to give them uh, a new life and a new dress. So 17 years ago, my mother decided to create this blend, and we gave the name of our princess just mm-hmm. to you know these female female pictures of our uh, family. So. That's it. That uh, that is a uh, one of your wines that I have not um, tried yet, and I I can't wait. And I love that you're um, honoring all of the um, all of the other grapes in your vineyard by creating that blend. So thank you so much. Um, uh, this has been a really fun getting back in touch with you again and um, sharing your story with everyone. Um, is it time for us to see uh, if there's any questions out there? <laughs> No, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to close the room. But just two things: there's no t- there's no time for questions. You d- you guys did an exhaustive um, interview. Just two things I want to say. First of all, I don't know if Hilde knows. No so se lo sai. In the new book of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, which is the textbook of of the uh, Via Vinital International Academy official textbook. And this year, what we did was with the grape entries, we have benchmark producers. So for Schiopettino, which is Ribolla Nera, Polcalza, um, we have, of course, Don Chala, but also Vigna Petrusa. So congratulations. <laughs> you are one of the benchmark producers. I don't know if you know that. Hilde, lo sapevi? Sì, sì, lo sapevamo, lo sapevamo. Abbiamo il libro, abbiamo tutto. Grazie mille. Ah, ottimo. Bravi, brave, bravissime. So um, I just wanted to say that. And then I wanted to bring quickly Laika up and she can tell us who our next guest is. Um, hi, Stevie. Hello. Um, so we're still working on um, the next guest, but we're going to have Alan Kwok. Um, he's recently our Italian wine expert. Yes, um, from Hong Kong. And he's still confirming um, with either Giulia Madonna of Catal di Madonna or Alberto Cordero di Montezemolo. Montezemolo. So, yes. <laughs> okay, great. So that'll be next week. Stay tuned. Come back, you guys. 
And yeah, like us a little bit tired because she worked Sunday and yesterday all day long at Slow Wine doing thousands of interviews. So thank you very much for that. And of course, Joy. Grazie. Thank you, ladies. Mary, Beth, Hilde, e Francesca. E alla prossima, ragazzi. Grazie mille. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.